Greg Foss has spent over 30 years working with money. He knows how it works, and he knows how it does not. Greg was a founding shareholder at 3IQ, one of Canada's largest digital asset managers. He is currently CFO and Bitcoin strategist at validuspower.com. Greg holds an MBA from the Johnson School of Business at Cornell University and a Bachelor of Mechanical Engineering at McGill University. Greg and I first met at the Bitcoin conference in Miami, where Greg was a speaker and moderator. During one of his talks, Greg shared some of the mental health struggles he has dealt with throughout his life. For those that know Greg, this may come as a surprise, but as the saying goes, never judge a book by its cover. I have spent the past decade trying to understand why the mental health crisis continues to get worse, while stigma reduction and funding for mental health services are at historic highs. I used to think the problem was a lack of money. I am becoming more and more convinced of the opposite. There's too much money. Greg and I discussed this idea in further detail and how Bitcoin proposes to fix the underlying problem. Fix the money, fix mental health. And I met uh, very briefly at the Robert Breedlove Jordan Peterson event. Okay. In Bitcoin Miami, you were you were very gracious, and I think you're giving out. Uh... Yeah, we bought a bunch on behalf of Validus Power and uh, actually Looking Glass Enter uh, Looking Glass Education, uh, the uh, learning platform I've uh, I'm partnered up in. Um, you know, we wanted to give uh, the world a chance to hear one of Canada's greatest exports, in my opinion, which is uh, Jordan Peterson. And you've mentioned that he's pretty, uh, he's been influential in your life too. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and so you're very, you're very kind and um, being fellow Canadians, I'm always interested by the, the number of Canadians that are playing a leadership role in Bitcoin. I'm wondering, I want to talk about, I want to talk more about Jordan and the correlation between what he's doing mental health in general sure. and Bitcoin as well, because I think they're actually closely correlated more so than people talk about generally. But um, why, I guess interest, curious about why you think Canadians are playing such a prominent role in the Bitcoin space. You know, it starts with guys like Jeff Booth, um, who, uh, uh, you know, my, my plug for my good friend, Jeff, who incidentally, though, I've only known for slightly over a year and a half. Um, yeah, he and I met through the Bitcoin community, but he and I met after I read his book, which I truly believe is one of the best books I've ever read. In fact, if I had to pick a book that was the best book I've ever read, I'd, I'd pick his book. Um, I think the man is, uh, uh, had some, uh, uh, well, the experience he has, uh, is second to none, you know, high tech startup, uh, precursor to essentially Home Depot supply, which you could argue is a precursor to Amazon.com. Mm -hmm. uh, growing like wildfire hits the great financial crisis. Now, the funny thing is, in my former chair, 
at the hedge fund I was working at, we took a look at the distressed debt of his company. Oh, wow. And we decided to take a pass on it, but I remember it specifically. That was Bill, um, Direct, Bill Direct? That's correct, BillDirect.com. Yeah. Um, now, uh, and we didn't do a deep dive. It was just, okay, uh, you know, we have other opportunities, bigger liquidity, other people will trade it. Uh, that being said, uh, when I read his book and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. But here's what's true about Jeff and here's what's true about a lot of Bitcoiners. And maybe this is why Canadians can punch above their weight in this. Jeff is so genuine and he's so humble. And I'm not saying that's a Canadian trait, mm -hmm. but, you know, we seem to be, um, well, we're, we know that we are not the kings of the world. Lots of people in the United States think they are the kings of the world because you know what? <laughs> Most times they are, right? Like yeah. just about everything happens out of the United States. Um, now, uh, you know, as far as Canadians, as I, you know, said, punching above their weight in the Bitcoin community, not really sure. I mean, there's so many smart people, Francis Pouliot, you know, Rodolfo, Novak, uh, NVK, he's the guy, Ben Sessions. I mean, you can just dot the whole uh, country Starting, you know, I might as well start on the East Coast, John Vallis from Newfoundland. Yeah. I mean, who in the world produces a world-class Bitcoiner like John Vallis, but he comes out of, um, you know, and then even one, one step near that too is a guy by the name of Brad Mills. I'm not sure if you know who Brad is, but he's from Cape Breton. So yeah. bang, 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 you can bounce around the country. And I'm, I'm proud of being part of that community. I mean, I was really proud to be on stage in Miami with four billionaires. If you ever asked, uh, you know, Foss, what do you think the chances in your life you're going to be on stage with four guys that uh, are worth more than many small towns in Canada, right? Individually, yeah. they are worth more than many small towns in Canada. That's not a measure of success, of course, but it just is a fact. Yeah. Um, well, so who it, knows? It was it was it was unbelievable to me too that not only were you on stage, but I think one of them was saying how in, important you were to the Bitcoin community. I can't remember who that was. It might have been Orlando Bravo. He says the world needs more Gregs, and I'm just like, thank you, Orlando. What a nice thing to yes. say. Right? Yes, that's what he said, and I was like, wow, what a what a compliment to you. It was. Um, it, yeah, I think that's an interesting comment about humility and entrepreneurship and community that Canadians have, because, you know, if you do go down the rabbit hole with regards to Bitcoin and money, you know, what I've, what I've realized is that the more you know, the more you realize you don't know, and there's a humility to that, and, and perhaps that is part of what the Canadian uh, experience has been and has helped Canadians play a leadership role in this space because it's not as though you can spend 10 hours, 100 hours, 500 hours, 1,000 hours in, in trying to understand Bitcoin and money and technology. It's a, it's a lifelong uh, educational experience. That's what's made it so fascinating to me and, and intellectually invigorating. You know, what really struck me at the conference was you sharing uh, openly your, your own lived experience and personal battles related to, to mental health, which, you know, obviously was another really important thing that you've done. And I think opened up a lot of people's eyes around, cause you, you have a persona, right? That I think if you, if you judge a book by its cover, you would think, well, Greg Foss 
would never have any issues with mental health, right? Um, and, you know, I was the CEO of the Alberta Mental Health Foundation for a number of years. So I, you know, I've seen, you know, lots of people like you, and I've talked to lots of people like you that, <clears throat> so I, I, I can appreciate it, I think, more than the, the average person. But, you know, if you, if you could talk through what prompted you to do that in Miami and, and how you've been thinking about your own mental health, health recently and, and, and just historically. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Um, first of all, thanks. Uh, you know what? I mean, I, I'm, uh, I'm a pussycat. Okay. With a big roar. Um, <laughs> only because when I care so, so, uh, vigorously about something, uh, one of my buddies who I traded with, uh, this was a long time ago when I worked for, uh, the sell side of the street called TD security, you know, TD securities, I was a trader and my clients were the investment or asset managers. I eventually became an asset manager myself, but anyway, when I was at TD and I was a bit of a loud mouth on the trading floor. Uh, but, uh, one of my buddies got me a t-shirt that said, I yell because I care. Okay. Mm -hmm. And perhaps that's, you know, not a bad, uh, synopsis of what I am. I'm a, I'm a pussycat with a, with a big roar, but uh, it's only because I care. I hope people understand that. And I do swear a lot. And that's just because if you've ever worked on a trading floor, especially for 30 years, you just can't get this stuff out of your, your system when you care about something. So, you know, I'm not going to swear on your podcast, but if people see me out there, I'm not trying to be a tough guy. All right. At the end of the day, this is just in your language. And if I could defend myself, I think I'm pretty polite now compared to how I used to be because uh, there are some times on a trading floor. So here to build up, you know, where I've come from and to answer your first question, though, on Miami, it absolutely was not scripted. That was spur of the moment for me. And um, I don't even know why I said it, but obviously I don't shy from this because there was a time when I, you know, was sort of feeling it out, people, how, it, but I've been doing this long enough. When I say long enough, I've only recovered a couple of years. So, um, you know, but I feel good telling people that I was absolutely like, and I need to describe to your audience, like I wasn't just suffering from anxiety. Like I was depressed to the point I could not get out of bed and I wanted to end my life. So let's be very clear. There wasn't much lower that I could go. And, uh, and I look back on it and I start thinking, my God, how did I get there? But I was there. Okay. I was really there. Um, and it co corresponded to the COVID crisis and everything that, that causes disruption in people's lives. Uh, people like to say about me, one thing that I am is I'm Groundhog Day. Okay. I love the consistency of my life in terms mm -hmm. of I get up at 430 I, I try and study things like financial markets and figure out where markets are going. But I like taking the same train every day. I like knowing the, the pattern in my life. And when COVID threw that into a wrench, mm -hmm. uh, it, it added to my anxiety and everything. Now, I had known I was getting sick in 2016. And that's when I put my hand up and retired from professionally managing other people's money. But in that interim between 2016 and 2019, 2020, uh, I hit the wall again. And uh, I hit it really hard to the point where it was dangerous, Mark, dangerous for my family. I'm so thankful that I had my family supporting me. And, uh, and that's very key. So when you have someone to talk to like your family, 
you you have a much better chance of of turning you know basing and it doesn't happen all at once right i mean you have to base you have to hit rock bottom before you can come back and so i did that and it helps when you talk to people who you love obviously but people who get it and my biggest shtick with talking to the professionals is when they say things like i know how you feel and I just always thought, oh my gosh, you actually don't, okay? Mm -hmm. Like it sounds that the horror that you're experiencing is impossible to describe. And unless you've lived it, and it's not belittling them at all. They want to mm -hmm. help you, but, yep. you know, they, they can't possibly. So the reason I, I have in the past is I've reached out and told people. And it has come back to me where under 20, but more than, I'm, I'm, I had not even count, but I'm going to say between 10 and 20 people, including young kids have come to me and said, thank you. Can we talk? And we do. And so, and it helps me because, you know, I like to be a, a giver. Incidentally, I think that's what also I forgot to say about Bitcoiners. Bitcoiners are givers. Canadians on average are probably more givers. Mm -hmm. uh, they're still a, a nation of takers. Like if you had to say, what are Canadians on a scale of zero to 100? What percentage of them are takers? I don't know. What is it? 82%. And globally, it's got to be 87%. So probably Canada is 5% lower than average on the taker scale. But the point is Canada's are, are Canadians tend to like to give or there are a, a portion. That's why Canadians become good Bitcoiners, that's why I like to try and help young kids or, or anybody for that matter. And so I said it on stage, Mark, but it wasn't scripted. And the feedback has been quite amazing. So I'm happy I did. Like, you know, I've met you. I've met this other guy, Eric Kusain from uh, uh, Same Here, hashtag Same Here, who works with okay. Theo Fleury. So you know that Theo's yeah. big in that. You probably know Eric then. Um, if you I don't, don't know, I'd, no, I, I'd be I happy to also. make the uh, happy to make the introduction. I've met other people that I want to make two other introductions to you uh, as part of a group chat. Just people who are involved in the uh, in the in the awareness space mm -hmm. in terms of you know trying to help people do, doing things like uh, uh, self mindfulness and all the things that help you get through. I guess to answer your question though, I didn't script it. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not proud of it though. Let's be honest. It's certainly not something I'm proud of. It's like, you know, but you deal with it. It is a, it is an illness. It is certainly some of it is uh, self-induced um, being a trader for 30 years is pretty intense. Okay. Mm -hmm. There are times when you think the world and you know, it doesn't happen regularly, thank goodness. But in 2008, 2009, living through the great financial crisis, the world was ending, okay? Many people don't understand how close we were to global financial collapse. Sitting in a chair in March 2009 and shaking, going to work, literally shaking on the train, it has to have some impact on you, right? Like, I mean, yep. you know, and so the fight or flight uh, reaction in, in humans, you know, what saved us from the saber tooth tigers, that adrenaline builds up in you. And if you don't have a release for that, that becomes anxiety. And anxiety and depression, from my understanding, are very tightly uh, linked. Mm -hmm. Here is the kicker for your listeners and why I am so passionate about this. I was misdiagnosed, in my opinion. And I wasn't just anxious and depressed, I self-diagnosed myself as hypomanic. 
okay? Mm -hmm. Hypomanic depressive. Yeah. Meaning I had a tendency to get high on the highs, not too high, not manic highs, but hypomanic, meaning I would take them. And then the depression side, I've seen this in my life. They the, the doctors do the typical thing. Hey, take these SSRIs. Mm -hmm. Now, I personally think that an SSRI caused my chemistry not just to stabilize. In fact, it caused the highs and the lows to get accentuated. But SSRIs are the typical stock answer for anybody, any doctor, you know, that, that, that prescribes these medicines. And, and they can be very, very dangerous. In my case, they caused me to do even worse, not better, even mm -hmm. worse. Now, what in worse, it started off by bringing me into a hypo phase, a manic phase, but then the crash was so severe, worse than I've ever experienced in my whole life. And the thing that rescued me, whether or not it truly was a part of a placebo or it was the drug, I took this drug called Parnate, okay? This okay. drug has been around since 1968. It is not an SSRI. It's, it's I, I wish it's something inhibitor, oxy inhibitor, some, but mm -hmm. Parnate, look it up. It is never prescribed or very rarely prescribed, even though it's been around for since 1968, because the side effects of that medicine, most doctors, if they even know about it, are like, ah, this is too dangerous for me to prescribe. The truth also is, and this has to be part of the truth, my annual prescription for Parnate is less than 500 bucks a year. Yeah. The kickbacks from that to doctors is so de minimis that the unethical or the un, I'm not going to say there's unethical doctors, but the ones who are, are interested in, in earning the, uh, the SSRI kickbacks versus the Parnate, the Parnate uh, there's no competition there, right? Um, they, they go SSRI, oh, this one doesn't work. Why don't we try this other SSRI? Mm -hmm. It's like saying, you know, well, this alcohol is getting you drunk and we don't want you to get drunk, but try this other alcohol yeah. But it's not, it's, it's going to help you, right? It's just, it's not, it doesn't work that way. So, so I, I, I throw this out and I'm no doctor and do not take this as medical advice, yeah. but Parnate was the thing, as I said, uh, uh, prescribed to me by a Nigerian doctor who I loved him from the day that I met him because he seemed like he just was there to help people rather than to easily prescribe a prescription that's from one of the big drug companies and you're going to get this trite. Oh, this is the, this is the new uh, mixture of the month. This is yeah. going to help you. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. I would say a couple things uh, that, that I heard like one of you may not be uh, proud of your, of, you know, or whatever you've lived through, but certainly what I've experienced and with you is no exception that. And I, I one of the, one of the, somebody from the conference said, had replied to the tweet that you shared that, you know, you should be proud of the fact that you shared uh, your experience because lived experience and, and peer support are some of the most underrated benefits of helping people recover and find their way. And when they see somebody like yourself being vulnerable, that's a sign of strength, not weakness. And I've seen that numerous Thanks, times. Mark. Yeah, no, it's just very, it's very important uh, for people to understand that. It's interesting on the SSRI side of things. I, I was, and I've gone down this rabbit hole quite a bit myself. And, you know, I think SSRIs 
have benefited people, there's no doubt. But you know what's happened, and I was talking to a psychiatrist on this podcast um, a while ago, and I asked him, so for mild to moderate depression, anxiety, an SSRI is quantifiably no better than placebo. And <clears throat> this, if we were to say 100 million people uh, have depression or anxiety, and we, we give 70 million people SSRIs as a first course treatment, and effectively what we're doing, given the side effect profile, is we're knowingly giving people, 70 million people, could be more, uh, a pill that's making them sicker. Like that's just the proof. And that's just a fact. And so, you know, I was talking to a psychiatrist and I wanted him to validate that hypothesis and he confirmed it. And I was like, well, isn't that a, isn't that a massive problem? Isn't that like a crazy, crazy problem? He's like, yeah. And I was like, well, how do we solve that problem? And he's like, well, you have to change the political power dynamic, the psychiatrists that are leading institutions. I said, well, are they incentivized to change? No. Okay, well, then how do you make them incentivized to change? Well, then you have to change at the political level. And ultimately, it comes down to us as individuals uh, wanting to change. And one of the things I've been really interested in, and I'm going to want to tie this into to Bitcoin and money, is the notion of time preference and high time preference versus low time preference. And I think that, you know, SSRIs, high time preference. Benzodiazepine, high time preference. Everything we do in society right now is impulsive and to meet your needs today versus extending uh, value into the future. And our monetary system has created a high time preference. Yes. And <clears throat> that has, I think, trickled down into every part of society and mental health and well-being. It's no exception. And so I was hoping you could talk about and educate the listeners who are may not understand money, fiat, and Bitcoin. And, and first just start with what, what is money? What is fiat? And, and why is it bad? And then conversely, what is Bitcoin? And why is it good? And then if we could tether in the, the, the notion of time preference to that as well, I think it would be an interesting conversation. Sure, man, there's a lot there, but I'll do my <laughs> best, all right? Um... I think you'll okay, do very so well. Firstly, firstly, um, for anyone who's listening and is not familiar with Bitcoin, uh, you're not going to get it right away. Okay. It's very difficult. I have personally studied Bitcoin for hundreds of hours. And I will tell you, I'm, my conclusion is this my conclusion is that Bitcoin is the most wonderful financial and technological advancement that I've seen in my over 30 years of trading risk. Okay. That's what I was professionally was a professional risk trader. I focused on credit and therefore I believe I understand the credit system and its shortcomings as well as anybody. You don't do this for 30 years and survive. Okay. Because you know, the average age of a, the average career of a bond trader is a lot less than 30 years. Trust me. Okay. Because you either blow up, meaning you make a bad trade and you don't uh, uh, properly risk manage that you, you either add to your mistake and it becomes too big a position. Uh, you get fired by your boss or you burn out. Okay. That's another thing. That's a reality um, just because of the pressures and everything. So I did this for 30 years. I focus on credit and 
I, I like to tell a very quick story about the shortcomings of fiat, but before I get there, here's the final part of the conclusion. Bitcoin is the most attractive asymmetric investment opportunity I have ever seen in managing risk, okay? I believe the price potential target for Bitcoin is so much higher than its current trading rate that you need to have a small portion of your portfolio in Bitcoin, regardless of who you are, regardless of what age you are, you need to have some exposure to Bitcoin as insurance against what I term the fiat Ponzi. And we'll get to what fiat is and everything in a minute. But the conclusion again is you need to own some Bitcoin. It is the best asymmetric return opportunity I have ever seen. And if you don't own any, you're actually taking more risk than if you have a proper portfolio allocation. And we'll discuss what that proper portfolio allocation could be, perhaps if we have time. But I promise you, the proper allocation is not zero. Zero and, is the wrong allocation. And Greg, maybe just talk through the notion of asymmetry as well. Uh, for, for asymmetry means you, you asymmetric trades define careers. It's like finding Amazon at $10 a share or Apple at $10 a share and holding on to it and knowing you're the right side of the trade, but knowing the potential upside of that is so much higher than the downside. Okay. So in the case of Bitcoin, I think Bitcoin will eventually be measured in millions of dollars US equivalent per Bitcoin. And today it's trading it for a number 40,000 US. Okay. The upside is 25 to 50 times upside. Now the downside, there is a chance it goes to zero. There's no question. But when you do an expected value probability analysis of that distribution, the asymmetry of it is so attractive that a one or two or 5% position in your portfolio can literally be worth five times your portfolio given a, a, a low time preference or a long runway, okay? Yeah. So what is money? Very simply, the best definition of money I know is money is used as a store of value where you store your time and energy expended today for consumption in the future, which is to say, when I was 20 something years old, one of my summer jobs was installing asphalt shingles on roofs. Now that's a tough job, obviously. Yeah. Uh, you're in the hot sun, uh, you work eight hours a day, it's wicked dirty, okay? You're thirsty, you're sweating, it's not fun. And I was getting paid about $5 per hour for eight hours of work. Now, it was cash, so that $40 was you know, hard work, hard earned money hard-earned energy. Did I improve the value of the house? Yes. Was the value of my work energy translated into an improvement in the value of the house? Yes. If I had kept that $40 from literally over 35 years ago in the bank account and wanted to consume it today, because I, I was making money the whole time, but if I had kept it just in a bank account, I would have earned a small amount of interest, but that would have been cut away by bank fees and everything like that. Just assume though that I want to earn, I want to use that $40 of fiat money today. 
man, what do you get from that? I don't know, a hamburger and two hamburgers <laughs> and a beer. Okay. Yeah. For eight hours of work in the blazing hot sun, that's been a horrible trade or a horrible store of value of my time and energy over the last 35 years. Fiat money is nothing more than paper that invokes you have trust in this paper because it's backed by the government. Well, if you want to be a, a bit of a snarky guy like me, well, what is the government? Well, it's a bunch of debt. So the piece of paper you call fiat money is backed by debt. Okay, good, good on you. You own a piece of paper that's basically an instrument that says the government owes people money and this is the paper that is backed by the government. Not a good store of value, not a good store of your time and energy, in my opinion. But here's the, 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 the reason that I call the whole thing a Fiat Ponzi. And this is going to resonate, hopefully, with Canadians. All right. I go to McGill and uh, McGill in undergrad. I'm an engineer. So obviously, I understand math and, you know, this whole concept of energy and conservation of energy and store of value. Uh, to an engineer, that resonates, okay? The first law of thermodynamics, the law of conservation of energy. Okay, I'm an engineer, big deal. Pretty tough school though, you know, did okay. Went on to earn an MBA from Cornell University in upstate New York, an Ivy League school. So also pretty good school, met some great people. I became a financial engineer, Mark. I was never a mechanical engineer as my undergraduate degree, but I was good at math and I became good at financial engineering. Now, I didn't go and work on Wall Street. I came back and worked in Canada at Canada's largest financial institution at the time, and it still is the Royal Bank of Canada. And I was working directly for the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer of the Royal Bank of Canada, really nice guy. And it had a split head office. It was in Montreal. The Royal Bank was partially in Montreal, partially in Toronto. And I was working for the CFO in Montreal, my hometown. So I graduated from McGill, six straight years of university. Graduated from McGill, one of my first jobs was evaluating the Latin American debt portfolio of the Royal Bank of Canada, which, like every other money center bank in the world, Royal Bank of Canada had way too much of this defaulted loans to third world nations, including Latin America. Anyway, to get to the conclusion of this story, my, the Royal Bank of Canada was insolvent on its way to bankruptcy because of Latin American debt exposure. And I did a back of the envelope calculation and I'm shocked. I'm like, this is unbelievable. The book value of equity, essentially the risk absorbing capital of the Royal Bank of Canada is vaporized if we properly account for the risk of countries like Brazil, Mexico, Argentina, uh, and, and others uh, that included Taiwan and, and Philippines, all these countries that had US dollar based debt, they'd all defaulted on it. And the price of that debt had fallen from 100 cents on the dollar down to a trading level of, you know, 20 cents on the dollar. Anyway, if you had marked the value of those loans based on their trading level down to 20 cents on the dollar, the book value of equity of the Royal Bank of Canada is wiped out, gone. And I'm a very young kid and I'm able to do this within 30 minutes of evaluating this. And I go to the CFO and I go, Emil, we have a problem. He goes, I know. Don't tell anybody. I'm like, what? Hold on a second. Every single Canadian has banks, deposits in Canadian banks. Every single Canadian bank, now as an aside, with the exception of Toronto Dominion Bank, they did not have Latin American debt exposure. 
Fast forward a couple of years, though, Toronto Dominion Bank almost blew their brains out on things called CLEX and uh, 360 Networks, uh, basically the digital ecosystem and everything that was the precursor to uh, to uh, high five, you know, fiber optics and everything. But the point is, every single bank regularly goes insolvent because they make horrible loans and they have too much depositors money. The, the portion of the loan that's funded by equity, the bank's equity, is minuscule. It's about $6 on the whole $100. The other $94 is depositors' money. And all these depositors think that the Royal Bank of Canada is fine. And the CFO admits to me, don't tell anybody. I'm like, what the absolute F? Are you kidding me? I just went through six years of school and I find out that this is a Ponzi scheme? Now, I'm... Got a bunch of school, student loans. I'm only 20-something years old. I'm not about to run to the Montreal Gazette. Certainly wouldn't run to the Gazette. But imagine if I called the Wall Street Journal up and told them this. Well, they wouldn't publish it because they wouldn't be allowed to because all their Wall Street cronies would like make sure that that never came out in the press, in the Wall Street Journal. In, although it's just a back-of-the-envelope calculation, you can do very simply. So in truth, since 1988, when I started working in credit, at the Royal Bank of Canada, I've been looking for a solution to this Fiat Ponzi. The Fiat Ponzi, part of it is how banks are so levered and they only use $6 of their own capital and $94 of depositors' money to make a $100 loan. That's the business of banking, okay? But that causes things like the government has to step in and rescue banks when they make stupid loans so that people still have confidence putting their money in the bank so that we can make capitalism work and, and filter everything through. Okay. I've worked in four financial crises in my life. It started with Latin American debt. Then one after that was the great financial crisis, excuse me, was long-term capital management. Okay. Run by two Nobel Prize winning uh, 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 economists and they levered themselves not just 94 cents of borrowed money and six cents they borrowed 99 cents and only had one cent of their own risk capital to hedge and they had to get bailed out by the fed okay when they did some stupid trades that uh, they were selling all sorts of insurance that they could possibly never pay back. Guess who they were selling the insurance to? All the Wall Street investment houses. And it was just part of this whole financial house of cards again. Then the great financial crisis, I've already mentioned, made mention of that. Look, the world was ending. The Fed had to do what they did. Point being, every single successive financial crisis gets more severe. It transfers risk from the balance sheets of the financial system to the balance sheets of the central banks and de facto governments. So the piece of paper that you're running around with that says, this is $1 Canadian has gotten progressively worse since 1988 because the government has had to bail out the financial system. And now the kicker, the financial crisis called COVID where we have a, a CEO of our country who's a buffoon in mathematics, okay? Now you can't be a buffoon in mathematics and run a trillion dollar economy, but somehow we've elected that to happen in Canada. And he makes up statements or doesn't make them up. He says statements like, don't worry, the budget will balance itself. Okay, I respect that Justin Trudeau has a math 
problem. He's admitted it. He's not, he's not able to do mathematics. But if you're a surgeon with a really shaky hand and really crappy eyesight, you're not supposed to still be at the operating table. A guy who's not good at mathematics should not be running or to be the CEO of a country that depends on things like understanding monetary policy and whatnot. This is a shot, yes it is, at Justin Trudeau, but it's also a shot at how people don't understand how the financial system works and how printing money actually penalizes people at the bottom of the uh, privilege spectrum. It may feel good, people, that Justin Trudeau has deposited a couple of hundred or a thousand dollars even in your bank account. The problem is it's robbing from the future of our children and when he makes statements like the budget will balance itself, no, that's absolutely infantile. And I have to take exception with it because it is penalizing the future of our children. I have three kids. You probably have some children, but at the end of the day, kids are our future. And to be so selfish, to rob from the future generations, to help us manage some things that are self-crises, we have put ourselves because of the financial or the fiat system in, these, in this place. Bitcoin solves all this very simply why. Bitcoin's not controlled by anybody. It's a decentralized platform. There is no CEO that can make a statement and cause us financial harm by saying stuff like the budget will balance itself. Bitcoin only will have ever 21 million coins, okay, for the whole world to share. Bitcoin is beautiful technology. Go and watch the blockchain in action. As an engineer, visual, watching the blockchain work is like watching a heart beating. It's a beautiful, living, breathing mechanism. And it is not controlled by anybody. Bitcoin is a community and a belief system. But most importantly for me as an engineer, it's based on mathematics and code. Okay. Mm -hmm. There is no human subjectivity to it. It's a protocol. It is a thing of beauty that is going to rescue us from this financial calamity that is caused by the fiat system. The ability of governments to print money, deposit it in your bank account to get through this COVID crisis, and then assume that the budget will balance itself. That's not how it works. So long-winded answer to Bitcoin is the solution to the fiat Ponzi. No other digital asset has these characteristics. I am a fan of uh, technology and innovation, but I am mostly a fan of Bitcoin in the digital asset space. I am not a fan of shit coins. I need people to understand the difference. You will lose your life savings in most shit coins. There will be some that perhaps succeed. And the reality is some of these that do succeed will find their way onto the Bitcoin blockchain in layer two and layer three solutions. I know I've lost most of your audience. Trust me though, you gotta go down the rabbit hole. You gotta understand what Bitcoin brings to you. It brings you honesty, truth. As a Canadian, it also brings you freedom. They can't stop and shut your bank account just because you support the trucker's convoy, okay? I'm sorry. People out there who don't support the truckers convoy, I understand it. I happen to support it. It's not that I was anti-vax. It's that I was pro-freedom. I am a freedom maximalist. And when the government 
threatens to shut your bank account because they don't agree with your viewpoints, that's pretty dangerous. And flip the, the narrative to the people who didn't support the truckers. What if it was something you did support, like, you know, the seal hunt or not the seal hunt? And the, and the government supported killing seals and you didn't support killing seals, so they blocked your bank account. Think about that for one second and understand the danger of governments that become restrictive of your freedom to move the value of your time and energy that you've accumulated over your life and stored in a bank account. And all of a sudden, the government says, frozen. That's yeah. pretty scary, man. Yeah. And this is the use case of Bitcoin. Um, you know, hopefully not losing too many people here. Back to you how you want to direct the program. But Bitcoin involves a time horizon that's a lot longer than the quarter to quarter fiat memory that we have. Corporations report on a quarterly basis. Governments, you know, inflation is reported monthly. Everything is low time preference, excuse me, high time preference in fiat. Bitcoin is low time preference. Talk to me in 20 years. I think Bitcoin is worth over $2 million US per Bitcoin. I'm not 100% certain, but I'm highly confident, more confident than the market is. So, and by the way, that's 2 million in today's dollars, okay? Let's get back to what you wanted me on this show for is probably more about the health angle, but- Well, no, I, 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 I appreciate the response and there's some things you said there that are, I think, really important. You know, Bitcoin, I think you wrote Bitcoin equals math plus code equals truth. Yes, sir. I really liked and never bet against an open source platform. Which, oh, I love you, man. Which Bitcoin is. And you know what? Um, sorry for, I, I asked you, I think four questions in one, which my wife tells me to stop doing to my guests. <laughs> but you did well navigating it, so thank you. Yeah, the interesting thing that I, I've been thinking about, so I bought Bitcoin for the first time in 2018. And I, okay. bought, it, I bought it, which I think a lot of people do because I didn't want to miss out on making money immediately. And as I've read more, I think it's really important that people understand that the, the notion of low time preference yes. with respect to Bitcoin, because so many people either now or when it's at $10,000 thought, oh, I've either missed the boat or even now I've missed the boat because they're thinking about, I want to take the $50,000 Canadian uh, that a Bitcoin's worth and make it worth a hundred. And I want it to happen this year. Uh, and that's a very, that's a, that's a, I think that's a fiat legacy. Attaboy. Uh, a fiat legacy that is, is that people need to, that's why they need to understand the existing monetary system. But could I add one thing though? Yes. This yes. is important because Bitcoin is something that I'm going to bequeath to my children Okay. Bitcoin is a savings technology. Fiat is a checking account. Bitcoin is your savings account. Okay. Fiat works because you don't want to revert back to the barter system where you're trading horses for chickens, right? Mm -hmm. You come, come up to it with a fiat currency and that satisfies the, uh, the transaction. But the fiat, fiat is not a savings technology as we've mentioned already on this. But as far as a price value, I need to tell you this. I got involved in Bitcoin in 2016. 
It was under $1,000 US per Bitcoin. I'm looking you right in the eyes with the, my best intentions and 100% honesty. It's my belief that Bitcoin is a better investment today at 40,000 than it was when I got involved at under 1,000, okay? You may say, how's that possible, Foss? And I'll answer that COVID, the reaction of governments to COVID makes it 100% certain we will never escape the debt spiral, D-E-B-T spiral that every nation has uh, invoked on now because the economies cannot possibly keep up with the growth rate of even the interest coupon on the debt. It's pure mathematics. You need to protect yourselves. So we've had the truth of COVID reaction come in and we've had the adoption. We've had countries who have embraced it as legal tender. We have transactions that are taking place in, in for car companies. We have you know, we have the education process. We have all of these things that indicate the adoption of Bitcoin. Don't overthink this. If it honestly is worth $2 million in today's uh, dollars, in my, by my calculations, don't overthink it. Whether it's 42,000 US or 35,000 US, it's all a rounding error. Get your insurance. Don't put all your money in it, but you got to put some in, okay? And the worst part is, Mark, when you get somebody to put 5% of their portfolio in it, it's like they forget about what the other 95% of their portfolio is invested in, and they right. only focus on this 5%, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's, as a risk manager, you got to train yourself all these things. Part of training yourself as a risk manager is to reduce emotion, and part of it is to lower your time preference, to view things where you see the future going. Mm -hmm. If you had a chance to do it all over again with the internet, yeah, there were lots of things like pets.com and stuff that got blown out of the water, but the rails worked properly. Amazon was born at that right time. You know, like you got to separate the, the good Bitcoin from the crap, the shit coins, but mm -hmm. Bitcoin is the good and it is insurance. So, you know, the time preference thing is I'm going to buy Bitcoin at 40,000 US and sell it at 80,000 US. What are you doing? You're getting back into a shitcoin. You're getting back into US dollar shitcoin. No, you got to get into the unit of account that is going to preserve your monetary energy. Sorry. No, I, I it's really important too for people to think through what you just said around the the investment in Bitcoin today at 40,000 US or 50,000 Canadian is a better bet than the investment opportunity was at $1,000, which was a mind-bending concept for people to understand. But I think I think what, what you're saying is that there's been a use case with Bitcoin that has reduced the risk significantly, and then the continued use case with the existing monetary system has increased risk significantly. Attaboy. So for people to really, and it's so interesting because, you know, and I, people talk about this, ad nauseum, but nobody understands money and nobody, we don't teach people about money. And, and as a result, everybody thinks that because, and this is true of any government, whether it's the liberal party or the democratic party in the United States, it doesn't matter if, if you're given X dollars today, more than the other party gives you or, or wants to give you, you get elected, uh, <laughs> you know, totally and, true. And it's, it's just a high time preference thing. 
both yeah. and politics is a high time preference thing. Um, I'm wondering how you think that, and it's it's been incredible how much Bitcoin's become adopted uh, globally. But I still, if I look at 10 of my friends or family members and I have this conversation with them, they're just, they don't, they don't have the appetite to have the conversation. They don't want to learn about it. They just want to know. They, so at least like, some of them are though, Mark, at least you did, right? And here's oh, the yeah. thing. It's a process, sir. It's education. I think what we're both saying is it's education and you need to spend the time yourself. But this is why I'm involved, for example, in something called lookingglasseducation.com. This is a free education platform for anybody to go to and actually learn how the fiat system works. Because you will not learn this after six years of university and two years at one of the top business schools in the world where I've experienced because they can't teach you the truth. If you knew the truth about the banking system, nobody would put their money in the banks, okay? And then the whole system collapses. So the confidence cannot be undermined. And I'm not saying I want the system to collapse. I need to be very clear about that. But the mathematics of it indicate to me that it will collapse. And historically, every single fiat currency has failed all the way back to the Roman times, okay? When they tr they started cut clipping off the corners of coins, that's why coins have uh, the sides that are uh, marked so they you can tell if they've been uh, uh, clipped off or not. Then they changed the amount of gold that was in each coin. Uh, so fiat debasing is a fact of life that goes back thousands of years. So this is nothing new, okay? Just understand you need to protect yourself against it. Looking Glass Education is a platform that I'm involved with. It's 100% free to help people understand and take it on your own time. You can't get it from one podcast. Mm -hmm. In fact, you can't get it from less than, in my opinion, 40 or 50 hours of studying the reality of the world. In my case, it came over a period of 30 years. I've seen some stuff that would blow your mind away. I've, re I've written a number of papers on this. It prim primarily uh, focuses on the, uh, the, the professional asset managers of the world, but none of it is any different, okay? It is experience and education and telling the truth. And you're doing a great job and don't get discouraged because, you know, every single day people get orange pilled. It may not be the people in your family like you'd wish it would be, but that'll happen over time. And if they don't get orange pilled, unfortunately, they will be the ones that are punished the worst because when they're trying to preserve their value in a fiat currency that's debasing and someone else has a pristine store of value and collateral, and they can buy stuff in the future with this collateral that a fiat person never could, who's going to own all the houses in the future? I don't know, but chances are they own some Bitcoin because house prices are not going up when measured in Bitcoin. House prices are only going up when measured in fiat. And it's not that your house is going up. It's that the value of your fiat is going down. You need more of these same dollars because they printed more of the dollars to buy the same house. Change your unit of account, change your time preference. It'll help your mental stability yes. as well. Yes, yes. I, and I know that for me to be true uh, because I'm, I'm like you were, you know, type A personality, impulsive, competitive, 
Um, and so everything had to be now. And as a result, I would make impulsive decisions that were maybe satisfactory for my ego today, but unhealthy for my mind tomorrow. And as I, you know, and Jordan Peterson has been really impactful in my yes. life. And then in Bitcoin and, and the note, and I, you know, I think people sometimes could be turned off by some of the philosophical aspects of Bitcoin. Just okay. I'm not, I, I, I mean, it's very profound for me, but I think the, the main takeaway I want people to understand is the notion of uh, the current system incentivizes you to, to spend money on things that are, uh, that will immediately try to fix your problem today, but make things worse tomorrow. And so Correct. I think about things, if I tie this back to mental health, uh, SSRIs, benzodiazepines are the worst ones where it's like, God, are they, they're so horrible. Benzos. Oh my God. They're, they're, they're amazing. If you have anxiety and you want it to go away today, but they do not address any root cause issues. And then they have terrible side effects into the future. It's really hard to get off of it. It's like heroin to get off of social Attaboy. media, social media. Uh, even I think about the taking winning and losing. I coach my daughter soccer and she's 10 years old. The notion uh -huh. that, that competition and winning and losing should be something that is eradicated from sports is, and everybody wins. It's like, you're trying to satisfy somebody's well-being today, but actually negatively impacting their well-being tomorrow because learning to compete is what we do as human beings. It's what we do. Um, it's biologically hardwired into us Correct. Uh, as individuals. And so by not teaching uh, what winning takes and what losing shows you is actually really unhealthy if you look at it from a low time preference perspective. Correct. Alcohol, which is something that, you know, my genes are soaked in, uh, is another high time preference uh, tool that people use that have very, very negative impacts across society. And so money, uh, our, our current system is, a, is high time. We're trying to satisfy everybody's desires or impulses today. Beautiful. And, and it's a really, really not a good way to support your well-being in the long term. And so, you know, that's what that's what Bitcoin is, right? It's a low time preference structure and system. And what I really like that you and Jeff talk about quite a bit is, you know, ensuring that we're able to transition from what's happening today and build a parallel track in Bitcoin so that, you know, as much as possible as things unwind like you know you say they will and they will based on math and I want to ask you about about that a little bit more that there's a transition that is a peaceful and humane as possible that allows individuals to it's really a it's really a, a paradigm shift from time preference is what what the the transition is in my mind and so if you were if you were Justin Trudeau for example and I'm not saying you with your mind is Justin Trudeau. You're Justin Trudeau and you're trying to solve for the money issue. And you're, you're thinking Bitcoin is bad and I just need to fix. Like, how do you, how would you, what, how do you counter, how do you make the monetary system carry on for 10 or 20 years 
Like, what's the solve? Okay, well, yeah, another long, a good question, but and there's a lot in there, and we're not going to be able to answer it in the next five minutes. <laughs> but I look forward to trying to continue to to help. Uh, you know, uh, I love your 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 talking about benzos, okay, and and high tide preference, alcohol, the immediate uh, 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 calming effect that you get from these. Uh, you know, the typical pills that they, they give you for reducing your anxiety. Well, that that has long term consequences. As you mentioned, sort of like putting a $1,000 in your bank account feels good. And then all of a sudden, you're out of the $1,000 and you need another hit, right? It's like, mm -hmm. a, it's a it's a it's an, an, an ejection, a high time preference injection for long term negative impacts. If I was Justin Trudeau. Um, okay. First of all, Well, you know, without Bitcoin is apolitical. I, I don't want Bitcoin to become a political yep. Yep. Um, a tool in that if you're liberal, you don't support Bitcoin. And if you're uh, conservative, for example, and perhaps we're talking about some of the candidates in the conservative party who uh, I do know uh, are more open to the to the Bitcoin mm -hmm. ecosystem. That being said, it should not be a political tool. Everybody should understand that the fiat system is going to fail and it's failing on a daily basis. It's just cumulative, right? The purchasing power of your dollar loses money every single losing loses power every single day. And in some cases, it'll accelerate with the uh, the the tools that the politicians use. So it doesn't cause the collapse immediately, but it it's like taking you go from one dose of a benzo a day to two doses it doesn't kill you immediately but if you if you took it up to 100 doses a day we know how that ends right mm -hmm. um so let's understand that if i were a politician of no political affiliation i understand that bitcoin is essentially monetary energy and as a canadian we are blessed with a resource natural resource base that is rich in energy mm -hmm. and if you think of taking energy from the ground and converting it into monetary energy you want to have a unit of account like bitcoin which preserves that monetary energy versus taking fiat dollars for that physical energy and now you have a paper IOU to the government. So the logical thing for me is I want natural resource energy to pri be priced in Bitcoin. As an engineer, it makes sense for me. Now, yeah. a lot of the FUD that's out there is, oh, Bitcoin is bad. It uses, it uses electricity. Okay. Yes, it does. That's called the proof of work that secures the Bitcoin network. And by the way, there's lots of use cases of Bitcoin energy, and I'm involved in some of them, where we're actually cleaning the environment because we are using wasted energy, including flare gas that otherwise is vented into the atmosphere or burned into the atmosphere. We're using that flare gas to mine or capture and mine Bitcoin. It's only a small portion. If the Middle East ever did this on a sustained basis, it would change the world because that's where all flare gas is vented. But that's an aside. What I would want to do is create a structure where your savings account is Bitcoin. That's the parallel network. And your checking account is fiat. Okay. Now I have to run. And yep. I promise you, this is not going to be solved in the next two hours of us talking on this. But I'd really love to come back and take a stab at this again. 
from a logical, apolitical posture where you discuss how this could change Canada. Because I truly believe if Canada adopted this on a large scale basis, including the province of Alberta, which has the most to win from this, it would change the lives of future Albertans so substantially. I don't care if I'm red, white, or blue, okay, in terms of my political uh, uh, leanings or affiliations. It makes sense economically and mathematically. And I'm going to... So it's uh, hopefully we'll end and ethically and ethically. Okay. This is the most, most ethical solution to treat everybody fairly. Okay. The people that benefit when the, when the money printer is spinning are the people closest to those, to the money printer, which are the big bank execs and all these things. And the people it hurts the most are the people at the other end of the spectrum that have their money in banks that keep the $10,000 they have to their name in a bank account. And we know what happens to that over time. So this is an ethical, I'm a partner in spirit with Jeff Booth, but he's your man. If I could pick a prime minister, yep. no, he's- I know who I vote for. Yes. And it would be he's Jeff good. Booth, but he doesn't want the job. But what he, what we both want, what we both want is a better, a better future for our children. And I believe Bitcoin is part of that both for your health, both for your ethical responsibility. Most importantly, it is the freedom component of capitalism that I love, okay? Bitcoin is freedom. My dad, my granddad, on that note, I'll end. My granddad fought in both world wars. He was awarded the Order of the British Empire for bravery. And he didn't fight those wars so that we could have a prime minister that took for granted those freedoms and freezes people's bank accounts and prints money so that he can get into office for the next four years, okay? That's just not the way the world's supposed to work, Mark. I really appreciate your time. I'm sorry, I do have to run. I have another, I don't have a meeting right now, but I got to get downtown Toronto and then I'm going golfing, okay? So oh, good, good I'm not matter. pretending that my golf game is coming up, but that's where I'm going eventually. Hey, yeah, well, th- thank you. I appreciate your time. I know you're a busy guy. In 30 seconds, I'm just gonna close this off by saying, you know, for me as a leader of a charity, I've been trying to figure out how you solve for the fundamental base layer challenge, which is you reduce human suffering and you increase human flourishing and you maximize human potential. And, you know, the transactional high time preference, receiving donations, giving money, and then you need more money and then the problems get worse. Yeah, it's always been a mind. I, I couldn't understand how you why, why is that happening? Now I need to ask for more money and then I have to give more money. Yeah, and then, the problems keep getting worse. The mental health crisis keeps getting worse. Correct. And that's why Bitcoin to me is something that is apolitical and can solve a lot of our societal cha- challenges that we're faced with that are just getting worse because of the way the monetary system structured. Thank you, sir. I'd love to follow don't, up. Don't go yet. I have one more thing to say. How do I pronounce your last name? It's it's Corthius. It's oh, beautiful. Death. Okay, just Death. like it, uh, just like it looks like it's spelled. Okay, look, I look forward to uh, taking this to the next level with you on a number of fronts to help you uh, spread the awareness of your uh, platform, which is very honorable. Um, I'm the mo- I'm most interested in helping Canadians uh, succeed in the face of some of the most challenging times we've ever been confronted with, both financially as well as. Uh, spiritually and, and, and feeling good about our country and whatnot. Um, you, you know, you give me hope. That's what Bitcoin is. Bitcoin community is a community of freedom and a community of hope. 
Uh, if I lose subscribers because of uh, my desire to make the world a better place, so be it. Uh, yeah. That's what we're supposed to do, right? But ultimately, you meet people like yourself, like Jeff Booth, who want to do stuff and do well, uh, do good and do well. Yeah. And that's what I find Bitcoin has given me that hope. So, you know, it's a long process. Anyone struggling with certain uh, emotional issues, I know you have a friend in Mark, you have a friend in me. Um, I know what I know and I know what I don't know. Uh, together, I think Mark and I can do some good stuff in the future. So I look forward to taking this again to the next step. All right. Thank, thank you, sir. And I appreciate all the things that you've done. Uh, and, you, you know, what you shared in Miami is, I think, far more impactful than you can even realize, even though you, thank you. realized how impactful it was. It's even more than that. I'll send you some emails that'll that'll complete that loop, okay, of people okay. that I've met. And we'll take this, I promise you, we'll take this to the next step. I've really enjoyed this and I do got to go, okay? okay thanks, thanks so much, buddy. Have a good round.